This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Harbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show, the Tuesday edition. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, um, questions about our faith, our wonderful faith, whatever's on your heart. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. Uh, If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR uh, app, and if you just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen, everything else will be hands free and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number, one more time, is 340 9585. Well, I'll get right to questions since I don't have any scheduling things to talk about today. Our first question that just now came in uh, from our mobile app, it's anonymous, says, With our country in the state that it is in, If it escalates into more pandemonium with these extreme ideologies as a Christian, how and when do we say enough is enough? And we intervene and do something about it. Can we physically stop it? Um, A couple of things, Anonymous, um, and and I have no indication who you are or how old you are. uh, But, but, you know, we've been sending all these, these young people that are in the streets and they have these crazy extreme ideologies. What's going on in Seattle right now is the most insane thing. Uh, And the fact that the local government is cooperating with these indicates this is what happens when we send our kids to college because this is who they turn out to be. So pandemonium is a good word. But you see, that's what's going to happen in the latter days. It's just that simple. Um, They are extreme ideologies. Things are truly out of control. But for you and for me, that means we look up because Jesus is coming soon. You know, our kingdom is not of this world. Our job, our our ministry, our mission is to win people to Christ. You see, in the middle of all of this darkness, we are in a position where our light will shine the brightest. And if we understand that, then we'll be about our father's business instead of worldly business. So, Anonymous, I agree. Things are crazy. Uh, I'm an older guy. I, I, I never believed that, that in my lifetime I would see anything close to what's going on now. And yet, here we are. One quick look at Second Timothy chapter 3 will tell you that this is exactly the world that was described by Paul writing to Timothy just as Paul was about to die. So it's really, really important. Now, a couple of things. I'm just going to do this as a way of suggestion. You can take my counsel or not. But here's what we've got to understand. Uh, Paul writes to the Corinthians that the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. You see, Anonymous, you and I, we don't have the divine power, but, but the weapons that we fight with, being full of the Holy Spirit, being about the mission that God has given us, being men and women of the Word, 
letting our light so shine. You see, God works through those weapons, not the kind of weapons that we have when we sort of take a, I'm going to get back at him approach. We simply can't do it. He says in the next verse in 2 Corinthians 10, this is verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. All of that to say our focus has to be on us, not on anybody else. We have to do what God has called us to do. And when we're doing that, then God will be able to do whatever it is he's going to do. Remember in Acts chapter 17, it's verse 26. Luke writes, and this is Paul preaching, to unbelievers, by the way, idol worshipers, and he says this, we've been born at just the right time to accomplish what God has planned for us to accomplish. So we look around and our minds are sort of just going crazy looking at all this nut stuff. But God's not surprised. He's still sovereign. He's still in control. And as we get closer and closer to the return of Jesus Anonymous, our responsibility is to fight the battle that Christ has set before us and not the battle that we have. The Christian that stands and insists on his rights has forgotten that we're not our own, we're bought with a price. That means we have no rights. It is for freedom we've been set free, but we've been set free by God, not by the Constitution of the United States. We have the capacity to vote. We can make our opinions known. But remember, in these last days, if we're going to do the work that God wants us to do, if we're going to be effective, and we get people's eternal souls at stake here, then we've got to fight with the weapons that he's given us. And we've got to remember, my kingdom is not of this world. What did Jesus say to Pilate? You have no authority from over me except my Father in heaven given it to you. I think we want the best of both worlds. We want this world to be good. We want this world to be godly in spite of what the Bible says about these last days. So, Anonymous, you're right. Pandemonium is a great word. Uh, Extreme ideologies is an apt description. But we never say enough is enough. We're always sharing the gospel of Christ. One of the smartest men who's ever walked the face of the earth, the Apostle Paul. He said, I keep it simple. I preach Christ and Him crucified. That's his message. And he could have argued and debated with anybody, but he simply chose not to. So, Anonymous, thanks for listening to the program. I appreciate the question very, very much. 340-9585. Here is our next question. This one is from Mike. And he says, Pastor Ron, I want to debate with unbelievers and false teachers. Can you give me an idea about how to start? How did you get started doing this show? Uh, Mike, um, if you've been listening for any length of time, you've, you've heard me say that I don't debate. Uh, you know, we're supposed to avoid foolish controversies. Um, the, the, the idea of debating with unbelievers and false teachers is nowhere listed in any of the gifts of the Spirit. So I would check, look in, check your ego. What's your motive? God will reveal it to you. And then he'll tell you the debate is useless and he'll give you directions about how to use the gifts that God has given you. I don't know why, Mike, we like to argue. We think, well, I've got all these arguments down. Um, There's no value. If you're talking to somebody who doesn't want to hear the truth, shake the dust off your feet, not in a rude way, but, but go find somebody else who will listen. Now, about how to start, get your own radio show. <laughs> I mean, uh, I got started doing this radio show, uh, it's eight years now, 
And, uh, you know, we've had teaching programs on the air for many, many, many years. And the general manager at KSLR just called me one day and said, hey, can you come in and talk to me about uh, some ideas that we have? We'd like to hear your ideas. The station at that time uh, wasn't doing really, really well. And he wanted to refocus. He did a great job with it. And he suggested, well, what about a call-in show? We started with a half-hour show. And um, Paula, I did it during the summer. Paula started with me on Thursdays even then. But a half hour is hardly enough time to say hello, you know. By the time you get in, here's my phone number, you're almost out of time. And one person would call or two people call, and it would take the whole, whole program time. So it was only supposed to be six weeks during the summer. They asked me to extend it to 10 and then 12. And then we just went off the air. And um, the next summer they called me again and I said, well, the only way I do it is with an hour. And um, they agreed, so I've been doing it for an hour ever since. Um, but, but Mike, understand that, that these are not easy shows to do. Um, and I think one of the reasons that I still enjoy doing it is because I refuse to argue. This isn't a, a platform for somebody else with their ideas. This is about Jesus. I hope what we've done with this program has reflected that. My only desire here is to honor him. I want to give people hope. I want them to see Jesus. I want to give them real-life practical answers. And if they'll do that, then I think the Lord is pleased. But, but uh, the idea of debating, I've also, by the way, been asked to debate people on KSLR. Um, several times in the past. I just always said, no, what's the point? I, I don't want to do that. This isn't about me. This isn't about winning arguments. This program is about winning souls. So, uh, Mike, just maybe reevaluate. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that, that God has prepared good works as he is preparing you to walk in those good works. And I'm just telling you that, that the idea of debating, arguing with people, trying to, to win um, the debate is, is, is not a desire that comes from the heart of God. So, hope that helps. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Sarah. You know, I should expect this. We're getting a lot of questions about um, what's going on in the world and politics and those kind of things. Well, I guess when the world is falling apart, people are looking um, at the circumstances and saying, okay, what do we do? So, Sarah says... Pastor Ron, should Christians be involved in politics and should churches be more politically active? Sarah, in these last days, I think just the opposite is true. Now, I want to be clear here. Our involvement in politics, it's okay to have a candidate, to support a candidate. Certainly, it's a good thing to vote. But remember that our kingdom is not of this world. That's what Jesus said to Pilate. It's what we're supposed to communicate. Um, politics are certainly involved in this world. So I think we ought to, all of us as believers, take this time to draw so near to the Lord that we know what we're supposed to be doing. And politics is not it. Churches who are politically active, churches who spend precious time where they could be teaching the Word of God and instead they're instructing people on political issues, even churches that, that have uh, voters' guides that they pass out. This is how we would vote. We can't tell you how to vote, but, but the, the, the pressure is subtle, but it's always there. So what churches need to do is be more Jesus active. We need to be more Word of God active. And the idea that we should be involved politically is to miss the point altogether. Now, having said that, I've known a couple of Christian pastors who felt as though they were called to run for political office. And who am I to dispute that that's what God called them to do? But here's what they had to do in order to run for office they needed to get out of their churches, out of their pulpits, because the two worlds, you can't serve two masters. And the two worlds simply don't go together. So Sarah, no, I think right now in these last days, 
And I keep saying that, by the way, I'm going to keep saying it over and over and over. In the last days, even though people don't want to hear about it, they don't want to look that far. We're in the last days, and we need to be busy about the Lord's work. Thank you for the question, Sarah. Let's go to an online one from Seguin. Ruben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, God bless you, Pastor Ron. I pray that you're doing well today. Thank you, Reuben. Thank you, Reuben. I am. I have a quick question for you. Jeremiah, I'm in the book of, I finished the book of Isaiah. Now I'm in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 12, um, where <laughs> it says, <laughs> Jeremiah's complaint. Now, um, as I'm reading, God is giving Jeremiah all of these things to tell uh, Judah and uh, Israel. And in the middle, all of a sudden, he just, I guess he starts complaining um, you know, and I don't want to read it all because he complains in the first part up until uh, verse 4. Then on verse 5, God answers. But he answers in a way that I don't understand what he means by it. Um, I don't know if you have it there, but it says, I'm reading out of the NIV. It says, if you have race with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets of the Jordan? When he's talking back to, to Jer- Jeremiah, what is he saying? Like, is it a parable or or, or what? Reuben, uh, I'm, I'm not laughing at you. Um, when you said Jeremiah 12, I giggled because in the, in the darkest time of my ministry, um, 25 years I've been here, in the darkest and the most difficult time, uh, when I was being accused of unfair things, when there were forces at work, evil forces at work, who were trying to undermine the direction that God had given us for this church, I remember going out, it was on a Wednesday, I always taught the Bible, uh, or the Old Testament on Wednesday nights, and I happened that day to be in Jeremiah chapter 12, that's what I was going to be teaching. And after sort of finishing the preparations for my study, um, I, it was about 4 o'clock. I, I wasn't doing the radio program back then. This was longer than eight years ago. Um, but uh, I remember I was just overwhelmed. And I just thought, Lord, I can't take it anymore. I can't take it. So I have a back door that goes out of my office. And I just went for a walk. I just I'm, it, it was hot. I, I said, I'm going to go for a walk. And the Lord spoke to my heart so clearly. And he said, what are you studying tonight about Jeremiah 12.5? And I said, well, you know what I'm studying in Jeremiah 12. Jeremiah was complaining, I get it, Lord. So so how am I going to survive this? I mean, what are we going to do? And he used verse 5. And he said, if you've raced with men on foot and they've worn you out, how can you compete with horses? He didn't give me the, the second part of the verse. But the idea there was, he was telling me, Ron, stop whining. Jeremiah was complaining. Jeremiah was looking at the circumstances around him. Now remember, Jeremiah was in ministry for 42 years as a prophet and didn't have a single convert. Nobody listened to him. False teachers were being accepted and, and, and loved, and, and they're trying to throw Jeremiah in cisterns to kill him. And Jeremiah's complaining. It's almost like he's saying, okay, God, you called me to do this, but this is so hard. And, and God is saying in verse 5, I'm going to paraphrase for you, Reuben. This is baby stuff, Jeremiah. If you can't handle the baby stuff, how are you going to handle the really difficult stuff to come? So that's what he's saying. It's a picture here of, uh, of, of somebody uh, chasing with men or running from men in a battle setting. And he's saying, if you've been tired by this, what's going to happen when those same soldiers are on horses and they're coming after you in multiplied numbers? So that's what he's saying. So uh, it's one of the great passages. Um, in all of the Old Testament for me. Um, what Warren Wiersbe says about this passage, Reuben, is that God's servants don't live by explanations. They live by promises. And Jeremiah had lost sight of the promises of God. 
And so he's forcing us to trust him in really difficult times. And what God is telling Jeremiah and what I've told a lot of pastors, what God told me that day, was you need to toughen up. That's not the answer Jeremiah wanted, but it's certainly the answer that he needed. He needed that answer. So toughen up. And I tell our church all the time, Reuben, that I, I believe with all my heart we need thicker skin. We Christians are so easily offended. We quit when things get hard. God is saying, wait a minute, I'm with you. I told you I'd never leave you or forsake you. I told you that I, yeah, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength, that nothing is impossible with God. Now you meet this little tiny problem, and you're ready to quit? Stop whining. You know, one other thought here, Reuben. Um, Jeremiah's complaints were right. They were justified. But I think too often for Jeremiah it happened. I know it happens with me. Too often when we start complaining, we sort of lose contact with Jesus. And our focus is out instead of up. And that's when we really need to toughen up. You know, the Christian life, serving in any kind of ministry, is really hard. It's supposed to be. And I just think too often we think it's, it's going to be easy because, well, after all, God is with me, so I'm not going to have these problems. We all of us need to toughen up. Does that help you, Reuben? does. It does. It clarifies it a lot. Thank you so much, Pastor. Thank you, Reuben. God bless you. I love that passage of Scripture. Um, you know, in that moment when I was so desperate, um, I, I, you know, I needed God to slap me around, and that's what he did. And again, not in an unkind way at all. But I'm out whining, Lord, how can this be going on? I haven't done anything wrong. And, 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 and God basically said, you knew this was going to happen at some point. We all need to toughen up. Here's a question from Ted. This will be our last question for this half of the program. We'd love your live calls at 340-9585. Ted says, what are your thoughts on losing one's salvation? I struggle with being sure. Well, Ted, let me say this. God doesn't want you to struggle with being sure. He wants you to be sure. Read First John. The point of First John is I write these things so that you will know that you belong to him. That you will know. Not that you will hope or that you'll guess, but that you will know. Uh, my pastor, Chuck Smith, when he was still alive and people would ask him this question, Pastor Chuck, can you lose your salvation? He would always sort of chuckle. He had a deep, rich, baritone voice. And then he would say, <laughs> I don't want to. Um, Ted, that ought to be what our thoughts are about losing salvation. God is the one, Ephesians chapter 1, verses uh, 13 and 14, um, God is the one who promised us that we're secure. He gave us a, an, a deposit, the Holy Spirit, as an inheritance or a guarantee of our inheritance. Now, God's a pretty good guarantor. So why would we doubt that? I know sometimes we don't feel saved. I know other times we see people who say they're saved and then they fall away from the Lord. We struggle with that. But you see, they can't fool God. They can fool us, but they can't fool God. And Ted, God wants you to know beyond any doubt that you belong to Him. Now, there are quantifiable ways to measure that. Galatians 5 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. Do those things characterize your walk with the Lord? I promise you that if you're walking with Jesus in the Spirit, I promise you, you won't have any doubt about whether or not you're saved, who you belong to. Ted, I've been saved for 29 years now. And I've never had one minute's doubt in 29 years about my eternal fate. Not one minute. Now, the enemy tries to lie to me just like he does to everybody else. But you see, when you're hanging around with Jesus, I say it all the time, just be with Jesus. When you're with Jesus, you have no doubt. You're surrounded by his love. It doesn't matter if there are scary things going on in your life. His love will surround you. It's like he's got his arms around you and trying to move, and, and, and he said, no, I got you. I'm holding you close. So, no, we cannot lose our salvation. 
Um, if it was up to us, we could, but he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Paul writes to Timothy and says, when, when we are faithless, he is faithful. And Ted, he's going to get you to the end. So stop struggling. Make a decision that you're going to believe what the Word of God says. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Um, so many other places. First John, read it. He wants you to know and enjoy the fact that you're safe and secure in His hands. Thanks for the question, Ted. 340-9585. Uh, for the second half of the program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. Got a question for Pastor Ron and the Word to Stand On for Life? You can send it to him via email at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Tuesday show, 340-9585. Here's a question from Priscilla. She says, I have a question about trans people. What if God did accidentally make someone the wrong gender? Can a Christian accept a pro-trans position? Um, Priscilla, you can accept, as a Christian, you can accept a pro-trans position if you actually believe that it was possible for God to make a mistake. Could God do anything accidentally? You see, when we reject the gender of our birth, we are rejecting the God who created us in His image. Can you imagine talking to Jesus and, you know, I know you made me a boy, but I feel like I'm a girl. I've always felt like I was a girl, or vice versa. And you look at that blazing fire of holiness, that face shining like the sun in all of its brilliance. And believe me, Priscilla, your first reaction would be, um, no way this God can make a mistake. So here's what you've got to do. Now, Priscilla, I don't know you, so um, please don't, don't take this personal, but you've got to stop listening to the arguments people are making in the world. You've got to stop doing that, and you've got to start getting your um, doctrinal foundation from the Word of God. The Word of God will give you an understanding about the heart, the nature, the character, the power of God. And for God to accidentally make someone the wrong gender. Now, God knows, of course, people who struggle with their assigned gender. But these are unbelieving people. And you know what happens, Priscilla, especially when they go to the extreme of having an operation that changes them physically? Those people live the most miserable lives, often ending in suicide or suicide attempts. Because they did the one thing that they thought would make them healthy and whole, and it didn't work. They only were more miserable than before. So here's the thing. We've got to accept who we are. And it's so easy, the idea that... that um, Biological sex is not the only marker, but identity, sexual or gender identity, and, and, and in our minds we can do that. You know, I, in my mind, I'm six foot three. But everybody who would look at me would say, who are you kidding? And it's so simple. This isn't a question that requires anything at all. It's just that we've so been brainwashed by the media that things that God says are not okay, that, that they're okay, it's okay, but remember, all these people reject God. So a Christian cannot accept a pro-trans position. If you're really a believer, then you have to agree with God. It's that simple. 
Jesus is the creator of all things. Everything that was made, he made. He created the process by which we are born into this world. Our federal father and mother, Adam and Eve, were the only two people made by the finger of God itself. Can you imagine if Eve said, you know, I want to be a man like you. See, we've got to agree with God. That's part and parcel of what it means to be a Christian. We, we have no basis to which to disagree with God in these issues. Our opinions, once we get saved, become useless. They get us into trouble. And so we seek the heart of God, the mind of God, and we agree with that. So you can't accept a pro-trans position. You can't accept this nonsense that, that uh, biological gender and, and identity gender are two different things. You know, it's interesting. Uh, it was a few years ago, not many years ago, uh, there was a woman, um, oh, her last name was Dolenz. I think Rachel Dolenz. Um, she was an executive vice president, a director of the NAACP, a very, very, at least everybody thought, a very, very light-skinned black woman. And she'd been passing as black forever. Well, her brother, there's a family feud, her brother comes up and, and, and I says, she's not black, she's white, she's my sister. Here are our parents. And she was ab- absolutely run out of town. But to her core, she felt she was black. And because it wasn't politically acceptable at the time, um, she was she lost everything. She lost everything. What's the difference if somebody says, well, my identity is black, so I can be black? Well, we would say, no, that's, that's racism. And yet with, with our biological gender, we do stuff like that all the time. All we have to do to decide who we are is to look in the mirror and accept who God made us. And if we identify as something different than what we see in the mirror, then we've got to be smart enough, honest enough to say, well, then I'm wrong. It's that simple. So God couldn't accidentally make anybody the wrong gender. And um, until you accept that, um, Priscilla, you're going to have to struggle with these issues. Here's a question from Amy. Amy says, Mark 13, Jesus says only the Father knows the time of his return. Well, God knows everything, and Jesus didn't know this, so how do we defend him being God? Well, we, 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 we declare him to be God, Amy, because that's what the Bible said. But here's the thing you've got to understand relative to uh, this particular question. Um, Jesus, in his un- incarnation... Uh, he became 100% man. He was still 100% God, but Philippians chapter 2 says that he veiled his deity. So what he's referring to when he says, no one knows the hour of, of uh, the, my return except the Father. Jesus simply veiled. Now certainly Jesus knows today when he's coming back, but he didn't know then in his incarnation. That was just Jesus becoming one of us. So, hope that makes sense to you. Um, thank you very, very much. Let's go to Ray calling from San Antonio on line one. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Glad Hi, you're doing good. Um, thank you. You know, going back to the question that was presented to you, how did you get started? I want to debate people, and you know, <laughs> it, it just flashed my head that, and I used to be inundated every week by Jehovah Witnesses pushing off the watchtower on me. And and a couple of times I would stand there and talk with them, and then I'd hand them, you know, the church bulletin and say, well, if you want me to look at this, and I have before, but never mind, you need to look at this and go to this website, you know, <laughs> your your website. And... One person actually did take it from me. The others would not touch it. You know, they're <laughs> they're Bolton can't do that. Oh, I'll yeah. be going through H, you know, whatever. And That's uh, right. 
you know, it, it just was, it was just so ridiculous after I found you, the bulletin in my open trash can. <laughs> they didn't even, <laughs> the person took it and then tossed it. And I went, well, that shows me where your heart is. And so I would suggest to that person who posed that question, if you want to understand what Pastor Ron was telling you about, you don't need to debate. It's futile. Pick out some Jehovah Witnesses and and banter with them, because you will find that you get nowhere. And, you know, it just, it just, I don't know. I hope, I hope the guy or girl, or whoever it is, um, a man. understands that debating is to no avail for anything. It's it's just not going to get you there. And, you know, they, I don't have. I haven't had a Jehovah Witness around here in I can't remember when. <laughs> but that's probably just because of the COVID. You know, my my feeble <laughs> brain. I don't know. <laughs> Actually, sometimes sometimes they'll mark your house uh, when they've been there several times, or when you uh, counter yeah. their arguments, and they yeah. won't come. So maybe maybe, you know, maybe you your know, house has been marked. You know, we used to have uh, several groups in in my little area here, and they would drop them at one end, and then at the other end, and have a car here and there, and you know, there'd be three or four of them in a group, and going all around and i haven't seen any of that lately you know yeah. in quite some time not just since the covid but quite a while and and i'm so grateful for that praise mm-hmm. jesus <laughs> <laughs> thank you ray god bless appreciate the call you know i um um I, at one time uh, actually they would they would come in cars or vans two of them and park at a place neighbor. Now I do a lot of running in my streets around the, the neighborhood, and so I'm out there, and I would see them in the mornings, and they'd be going to houses, and so I would just follow them. And at one point, somebody asked me, so where are you going? I said, well, as soon as you're done talking to those people, I'm going to go tell them that you're not telling them the truth. And, um, you know, they would go to another part of the neighborhood, those kind of things. But that's just the way it is. You know, Ray, my, one of the rules of life that, that I, I go by is when people stop listening, I stop talking. Uh, the problem is that we live in a world where young people, and I, my, my presumption is that this comes from a young man, this question that you referred to. Um, um, we feel like we have a right to debate, a right to argue. We spend hours upon hours behind a keyboard, behind a screen, giving everybody our opinion on things. And as everybody in this audience who's been listening for any length of time knows, I think the time that we spend on Facebook, the time that we spend on Twitter, the time that we spend uh, on other forms, social media platforms, is the biggest waste of time and what people don't understand, it's destructive. And we'll just shoot back and forth and we'll forget there's no love in that. And one of the things that 1 Corinthians 13 tells us is that, that, that you can make a lot of noise. You can have a lot of wisdom. But without love, it's just all you. It's not God at all. And I don't want to be a noisemaker. I don't want to be just a talking head. I don't want to win arguments. We need to focus on the souls of the people and the people that we argue with are the object of our ministry rather than the enemy of our ministry. Good call, Ray. Thank you very, very much. Here's a question from Pete. Don't you think that Christians now should support Black Lives Matter? Pete, this is a a difficult um, um, question to answer. So so I'm going to ask you and anybody else who struggles with this, to separate the Black Lives Matter movement from black people. The Black Lives Matter movement does not really care about, nor do they support the lives of black people. These are people with an agenda. They are as far left as you can get. They, they want complete control. Um, they, they hate what we stand for in Christ. Uh, they are uh, an especially 
um, trans and LGBTQ oriented, uh, traditional marriage. Uh, I mean, the Black Lives Matter movement is um, an enemy of God and an enemy of the people, black or white. So, so we should never, in fact, we can never support the Black Lives Matter movement. However, we do understand that black people have suffered at the hands of white people from the beginning of our, our nation. And we, we need to communicate that, that to me, your black life matters. We need to understand that we care very deeply for them. We care about justice. We care about equal opportunity. But it just doesn't come in the form of a movement. Racism will be around until Jesus returns. And our job is to get as many people out of here before Jesus returns and judges this world as we possibly can. And so um, we have to be really careful, Pete. You cannot be a supporter of the Black Lives Matter movement and stand for Christ. On the other hand, when a black man or a black woman stands and says Black Lives Matter, we should be the first to agree with them. Separating the movement from the person. Remember, that's really, really essential. So I hope that makes sense to you, Pete. But we, we certainly shouldn't be out marching and protesting um, with a political movement that is 100% left, um, um, supportive of everything that Christians stand against, um, and they want nothing to do with our Jesus. So how do we pray for them? We pray that they'd get saved. That's all. The people behind the movement, we pray that they would get saved. Tina says, and I answered this a little bit earlier on another question, Pastor Ron, when did you know beyond any doubt that you were saved? Tina, for me, it was February 23rd, 1991. I absolutely know that I met Jesus. Um, um, I was running away from home. Um, I had done horrible things. I was too much of a coward to face Paula and the boys, my two sons. And so I was going to take the easy way out, the, the coward's way out, which is what I normally did back then, and, and run away. Well, I only got two blocks, not even two blocks, away from my house. And Jesus literally tackled me, and I don't mean that in the physical sense, but, but, but I couldn't take another step. I fell on my face on a public street in Upland, California, and Tina, I knew I was changed. I got up off that street, I knew two things. One was that I knew my sins had been forgiven. I couldn't explain it. I wasn't a church kid, never opened the Bible, uh, I, but I knew my sins were forgiven. The second thing I knew was that if he had the authority to forgive me of my sins, then I knew that the rest of my life from that moment forward, every minute would be spent working for him. And that's been the case. Now, I had a couple jobs in those early days, but, but, but he was my Lord. He was at work with me, and I was telling people about Jesus from the very, very beginning. And Tina, I said this to the other question about losing your salvation in the first half of the program. Um, in 29 years, I've never had a single moment's doubt that I was saved. That, that day is as real to me as the day it happened. And I was so excited that he would reach down and rescue me. And I knew if he was going to do that, there was no way, no way that I was going to go anywhere but heaven. So I knew for sure, Tina, at that moment. Had a lot of questions after that, a lot of problems and, and philosophies and opinions to work through. But because I knew who he was, I had to begin the process of going to him for the answers to those questions. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here's another anonymous question. Um, it said, you talk about this a lot, but why wouldn't God want Christians to be wealthy? I think God wants me to enjoy his best here 
on earth. Sounds like you've been reading Joel Osteen, (laughs) Um, your best life now. Anonymous, everything you said in this question is completely antithetical to what the scripture teaches. So stop getting your doctrine from false teachers. Stop following the desires of your heart and surrender your life to Jesus Christ because the Jesus that you claim to know isn't the real Jesus. You've been sold a bad bill of goods. You've been given false hope. Why wouldn't God want us to be wealthy? Because we're regular people. What's the percentage of really, really wealthy people in the world? Not very many. You don't think God cares about people with no money? If we were wealthy, Jesus said, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because he's depending on his wealth instead of depending on God. That's why Jesus told the rich young ruler to sell everything he had and give to the poor because Jesus knew that his possessions possessed him. And the problem with that, Anonymous, is that if you've got money, you don't have to trust the Lord. Let me tell you a quick story. We've got no callers waiting. Um, you know, when, when just before I got saved, um, the, the Lord was really dealing with Paula one day, and Paula used to pray. She'd watch my life just sort of spinning out of control. Uh, she'd been praying for me for 13 years. And uh, we were rich at that particular time. And Paula said, Lord, one day in desperation, she was so fed up with me. She just said, Lord, whatever you have to do, if you have to take everything away from him, take it away so he'll get saved. And the Lord stopped her in her tracks. And here's what he said to her. He said, you know, if I take everything away from him, then that means I'm going to have to take everything away from you. And Paula had never really considered that. And the Lord asked her, is that okay with you? And Paula wrestled with it all day long. It was a whole day. She describes it a whole day of sort of being in prayer. And finally, that evening, I guess just before I came home, she came to the conclusion, Lord, if that's what it takes to save him, you love him so much, if that's what it takes to save him, then take everything away. Now, this is no exaggeration, Anonymous. We were homeless in less than a month. From being wealthy to being homeless. She had to be okay with that. The poorest I ever was turned out to be the richest time of my life. I remember us being homeless and we had a dog and Paula was staying at a relative's house and they wouldn't let the dog so I was staying in a, in a, a, a an acquaintance's garage a detached garage with the dog and um, Paula only stayed with the relative for about a week she said no we need to be together and so we both stayed in a garage it was embarrassing it was humiliating it was dirty and yet the truth is anonymous that it was the best house we've ever had because that's where we learned that Jesus was enough that's where we learned that even in the darkest of times Jesus was there and it was great I needed to be poor I needed to have nothing to depend on and rich people often are reluctant to look to Jesus So please stop reading Joel Osteen and listening to the other people that you're listening to. God doesn't care all about your wealth. By the way, the the, the Christians that are wealthy, um, they have God's blessing. It's not because of the wealth. It's because God knows that he can trust them with his money. The Christians that I know that are really wealthy, we had a, a couple in our church. I love them with all of my heart. And they have, over the years, been so generous with us. And this was a man and a wife who understood they couldn't outgive God. And that's a lesson we all have to learn. 
Here's a question. I think I can do it in less than two minutes that we got less. It's from Melvin. He says, how do you justify the rapture you say is coming when nobody ever believed it until the 20th century? Well, Melvin, you haven't studied anything. You've just listened. Um, the, the, the rapture theory was popularized by a man named Darby. And you're right. That was the mid part of the 20th century. Um, but but it, it doesn't mean that nobody ever believed in it. The Apostle Paul, you go back to the very early church, they were pre-trib rapture believers. Their eschatology was perfect. So all you got to do is read your Bible, consider the character and the nature of God. Let God take you away. Jesus said that we should pray that we would be counted worthy to escape the judgment that's going to come on this earth. I really don't have some time, to, more time, uh, Melvin, to do more. So I'll, I'll save this question for tomorrow's program and come back to it because there's a whole bunch that I could say about this. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Um, you know, it's a pleasure to be able to do this program, and um, it's an honor, and I really appreciate it. I pray that you are as blessed as I am by doing it. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. It's been great having you tune in. May the Lord bless you and keep you. We love you, Lord willing. I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 6.30, The Word. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. I need the word to stand on.